0: Welcome to episode 373 of the Reformed Brotherhood.
1: I'm Jesse. <laughs> I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. It's down for you. There's
0: nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey brother. Hey brother. It's been a year and we were just talking. We're, we're drawing end to the end of this year. And sometimes you got to switch up a little bit. We got so many amazing, loyal brothers and sisters who come along in these conversations. And sometimes you just want to make sure that whether they're listening in their cars or in the gym or while they're cleaning, that there's a little something that disrupts them so they don't get too familiar with the opening. So
1: here we are switching it up. It's what we do. Yeah. I mean, the way you pause there for a second, I thought I was supposed to start talking. I got confused. (laughs) And then you started talking. I was like, oh, no, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. We have this like familiar opening, and it's this is, um, I'll say, you I know what I'll save it for my denial, but we're going to talk on this episode. We're gonna continuing this little mini series or whatever we're doing in the quote unquote Christmas season here of speaking about all things incarnation. We're going to come back to that topic because it's just so good. It doesn't need, of course, this season to be brought forward, but it is a great excuse to do so. We're talking a little bit about the incarnation and the perpetuity, if you will, of. Christ's humanity and how important that is, what a source of joy and strength it is to us every day, but something worthy of our attention, especially this time of year. So we're going to talk about that and have a great conversation. Before we do, let's go into the affirmations denials. And because I like to switch it up, let's go negative. Let's do denials. What are you denying against on this the 373rd episode of the TRB.
1: So everybody knows that I love me some AI and some like new technology and everybody knows, everybody knows, especially the AIs and uh, (laughs) I'm denying what may be one of the older forms of AI. And we maybe don't even think of it as AI. So I'm denying Siri and I'm denying Siri for a particular reason. And not just because if I speak too loudly, she's going to think I'm talking to her. Sure. So so every once in a while my wife and I will order lunch from this local restaurant called Chappies. And Chappies is like a, an establishment in the area. They have a couple different locations. They have like this fry trailer that they bring to like events where they sell fries and stuff. Uh and and so today, you know, I, I go to order my food and I say, Hey Siri, call Chappies in Canaan. And I I didn't I I didn't think for a second, because I I've done this a hundred times in the last, I don't know, three years, I've ordered this yeah. way, where I call them by telling my phone to call Chappies in Canaan, New Hampshire, and I'm specific, right? I don't say call Chappies in Canaan, I don't say call Chappies in New Hampshire. I say call call Chappies in Canaan, New Hampshire. Okay, and I honestly don't remember if maybe I said it differently this time, but my phone goes, okay, calling calling Chappies. Someone answers the phone. I say, what are your specials today? Because we always say, What are your specials? And they go, Oh, we don't we don't have any specials. And I was like, That's a little bit weird, but okay. So uh we order our normal lunch. I think I think my wife got like a chicken sandwich and I ordered a cheeseburger and they go, Okay, give us about 15 minutes. And I go, Okay. So Chappies is right in town. It's it's like a four-minute, five-minute drive down to the center of town. You know exactly where I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm um, with you. But it's it's a very short drive. So I wait a little bit. I drive down there and I get down there. And they know me, like they recognize me when I come in. It's a very small town atmosphere. I walk in and they have kind of this inquisitive, look at at me. And I go, uh, usually when I walk in, they greet me by name and they've got my order ready. Or or at the very least, if the order is not ready, they've got the check ready and ready for me to pay. They look at me and I go, uh, I had a takeaway order for a, a, a takeout order for Tony. And they go, no, you didn't. I said, I just talked to somebody. We ordered a cheeseburger. The other Chappies. No, it's not even the other Chappies. Apparently, my phone thought I said Chubbies <laughs> and called some place in Massachusetts called Chubbies. And that's, that's not even the funniest part. So about an hour later, we get a phone call from Chubbies. And oh, they're like, no. uh, are you coming to get your food? I didn't even answer. I was too embarrassed to answer the phone. They left a voicemail. I was like, uh, "This is Jennifer from Chubby's, and we're just wondering <laughs> if you're going to come get your food." And I was like, "I'm not even going to call her back."
0: Oh no!
1: So you know, I, I'm not sure if maybe I was the was the one that was out of touch with reality, or if my phone misheard me. But I guess maybe this is like an exhortation to like double check when you use your AI speech assistant or whatever you want to call it that you're actually calling the place you think you are. Yeah, that's fair. I just thought it was crazy. I just real quick. I just thought it was crazy that not only did I get a random place in a different state, but that that state had the same, the random place had the same items on the menu where there was no, like, there was no like, uh yeah, we don't normally sell chicken sandwiches. It was right. like, it was like seamless so much so that I totally could not tell. The only thing that was a little bit weird was that it was like all of the people that work at Chappie's are, are women. Like it's, there's, it's owned by women and, um, most of the people who run the grill and stuff and all of like the teenage workers who work there on the weekends, they're all, they're all like teenage girls. It was a guy that answered the phone. It was the only thing that was a little bit off. And then it's when chubby. I got there, there was like a young guy who was training. I was like, Oh, he must've been the one that answered the phone. It's Chubby jr. It's Chubby jr. Yeah. Chubby jr. So yeah, that's, that's my story. I'm denying Siri for either not listening carefully or not being like, uh, did you mean chappies in Canaan, New Hampshire? Cause you're currently in Canaan, New Hampshire. But you're ordering food in Berkshire, Massachusetts or something like right. that. I'm not going to drive two and a half hours for a cheap diner chicken sandwich and a, a cheeseburger.
0: It does seem like some low-hanging fruit there. I'm with you. Like, why is it that when I go into Google and I, in my search I misspell something, it's like, did you mean chubbies? Like, yeah. that. that can happen. But here, where it has the GPS, like the geolocation, that it might presume, oh, you definitely meant – the next state over yeah. for lunch <laughs> which would take you nearly 3 hours to get to but yeah. this makes complete sense to me so let me connect you right away and make sure that you get access to whatever they're serving today
1: yeah i'm an equal opportunity critic though because i used to use google maps i've switched over to using apple maps on my phone just because it's it's seamless with siri apparently um, it's also better but just an just an equal opportunity critic If I try to use Google Maps and navigate to anywhere in Enfield, it thinks I'm trying to drive to Enfield, Connecticut, because we used to live there. (laughs) And I've tried a dozen different ways to try to get it to realize we don't live in Connecticut anymore.
0: No, no. Some
1: of that is that there's an Enfield, Connecticut, there's an Enfield, New Hampshire. There's there's like Enfields everywhere. We've actually lived in both Enfield, New Hampshire and Enfield, Connecticut, back to back. Uh, So a lot of times I'll be like, drive to Dunkin Donuts in Enfield, and it'll be like, there's a two and a half hour drive. Navigating. And I'm like, that's not what I, that's
0: not. Yeah, that's clearly what you wanted. Yeah. Clearly. It's funny you bring this up because I was just talking to my wife about the fact that we have a couple of smart speakers. They are Amazon speakers, so they use Alexa. I don't want to say it too loud (laughs) because she'll get involved in this conversation. But one of the things I've noticed recently is either like the AI is getting smarter and we're getting conned, or the speakers are just getting antiquated and old because. Most of the time she cannot hear what I'm saying. And I ask something or like, you'll just be talking all of a sudden she'll like bust in and be like the genus species of the plant you just requested is. And you'll be like, Are we, we're even talking about you. Like I just, we're talking about dinner or something. So I'm either getting like super conned or the AI sometimes is not as great as we think it to be. So I'm either feeling like I'm super confident that no matter what it's listening to me about it's either not getting the entire picture or like this really weird kind of counterfactual world that it's yeah. creating about my life or it, it, I mean, again, like people have heard me say before, I routinely ask it questions about Jesus or tell it, ask, ask Alexa to preach me the gospel. So <laughs> like, I'm hoping that, you know, that's coming through very strong, but otherwise, I don't know. I, I oscillate back and forth between like, this is the robot overlords that we've long feared are going to take over. And also yeah, like these guys you could just push them over. So yeah. somewhere in between, I'm sure.
1: What I think is really funny uh is when like you accidentally start a text message that's transcribing what you say and it's not you're not intending to. So one time I accidentally sent a message that was like me talking to like my son August and people are like, what is going on oh, here? Oh
0: yeah, we I got yeah, one of those.
1: and it was like it was like we have this little Noah's Ark like figurine set, and the the Noah figure was missing for a really long time. This one of the things you don't realize happens when you have like a toddler is they stuff things inside of other things. And I pulled the couch cushion off so he could jump. Like he likes to jump on the couches, so we pull the couch cushions off and then we put them on the ground. So if he falls he falls onto something soft instead of something not soft and then the the noah figuring popped out of the couch and i was like oh it's mr noah we found mr noah look it's mr noah and then i get a text message from your wife that was like tony are you okay and i was like oh yeah 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 i knew what like, the best part of that was
0: there was no segue all of a sudden it was just like oh we found mr noah and i think jen was like uh, should I know something about this? I was like, who is Mr. <laughs> Noah? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm not sure that's for us, but in the off chance it is, let's
1: celebrate the yes. fact that he's been found. My, Mr. Noah away. once was lost and now he's found. <laughs> so this, this I, son of mine way, has come home. Mr. By the way,
0: Noah. so that's like the whole, it must be some Noah's Ark playset, right? Like yeah. there's animals, there's, what do you call uh, Noah's wife? Do you call her Mrs. Noah?
1: I think we call her Mrs. Noah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, almost universally, all the Christians I know who have had like that kind of play set have had the same kind of naming convention, and I absolutely love it. Like I, I just think it's fantastic. We, we're drawn to be like, it's Mr. Noah and Mrs. Noah. And it's not wrong. I just yeah. think it's hilarious.
1: Yeah, it's it's really too bad we don't know Mrs. Noah's name because like I agree. She's almost as significant in the history of humanity as Eve in terms of, of course. Like, we just we'll just go straight down that theological yeah, path. Let's we do don't it. need yeah. to do that. But yeah, but yeah, I wish we knew her name. I mean, I wish I wish we knew her name. I wish we knew his son's wife's names. That'd be great. Yeah, I totally agree with Mrs. you. Mrs. Ham. Hey. How do you like to be Mrs. Ham? Mrs. Ham? Yeah. Mrs. Shem. That's a little bit less offensive. I feel like someone named Mrs. Ham. It's probably going to be, like, really self-conscious. Oh, the
0: hams are here. I yeah. hope they brought something good for the potluck. hope yeah. it's not ham. Yeah. Or wine it better ham. not be ham. That'd be super awkward in, in lots of ways. Word. The other thing I think about all the time when I think about Noah's Ark is there's this, especially among, like, quote-unquote secular culture, there's this sense of, like, this glorious story of animals and yeah the joy and joy of animals being together. But there's also like, you just never see like on a nursery wall, like this motif where it's Noah in the ark and then people drowning on the side yeah. like that. And and there's like a traumatic, tragic judgment style. I mean, it literally is judgment that happens in the ark by way of the ark. So again, like it's never like you see Fisher price, like Noah's ark and representation of baptism. And you know, like, you never see that. It's just like, here's Noah's Ark and there's a man and a woman and two by two animals. And there's like lions and tigers and bears and muskrats, whatever, you know, like, well, what's like, do you, can you think like, what's the oddest animal set in there that you were like, is there, is there anything strange in your rendition of the Noah's Ark?
1: Um, Well, it's really funny because the only animal that has sexual dimorphism in the set is a lion. So like. It's, it's a bunch of duplicated figurines lions. and then the lions are different. So yeah. like, I would have thought that if they were going to try to do figurines that were not matching, that they would have done, all of them would be not matching somehow. Like you'd have like a, a cow and then like a bull or like a deer and one would have antlers and one wouldn't. So it's, it's a bunch of like duplicated identical figurines. Cause they do, you know, there's two drafts, there's two alligators, there's two, I don't know, something else. And then there's these two lions that don't match each other. So that's the fun. They're not unusual animals. I just think that's funny that that was a strange, strange design choice. Yeah, that's
0: where the uh, the simplicity and ease of just mass producing a, a particular dying cast gates right. hegemony over the actual thing. So if you just if you just look at it and apply reason, you'd be like, wait a second. Yeah. Well, and something-
1: the the figurine ish is the exact same. It's just painted different. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's funny because like, it's got like a space for a mane on the female lion, but there's no mane. No mane. So it's just just blank space on the the figurine. Yeah, honestly,
0: I think we could launch into a, a very severe critique of our modern society <laughs> just based right now. <laughs> on that example: We should probably stay away from it. Yeah.
1: Well, Jesse, since we're trying to move on, what are you denying today? This just happened to me today, and I, I was looking around
0: as you saw, but nobody else did for my phone, which I don't have with me, but. Somebody, and this is like a hidden sneaky affirmation, if you want to hang out with us and some other listeners who are enjoying the conversation together and interacting in a way that's like online or on your mobile phone, your mobile device, whatever that is try t.me backslash reform brotherhood t.me backslash reform brotherhood that will take you to an app called telegram it's just a chat app it's a place where you can interact it's like the old message boards but better because it's a little app <laughs> and there was a particular conversation about the holy spirits and about pneumatology yep. and somebody had graciously referenced a previous series of episodes that we had done and i don't know what struck me but i i was like you know what let me listen to what we said on this. Cause it was like in the two hundreds. So that's a little while back at this point. And as I was clicking on, I remember thinking I never listened to the episodes because I just don't like to hear my voice <laughs> ironically or providentially. I listen to this episode and what is my denial about how I never listened to the episodes because I do not like to hear my own voice.
1: <laughs> it's very So annoying. I
0: had like this, it was like inception. It was like tortoises all the way down. It was completely recursive. I couldn't believe it. So I immediately turned it off because I was like, this is a sign. You should listen no more to this particular episode. Uh, But two things occurred to me. One is that I'm so glad we've been able to do this for so long. It's really a blessing and a joy. And two, I sound as bad as I ever thought I've sounded. So really, in some ways, I've never progressed to become worse. And I've never been any better than I was then. So for what it's worth, sorry, everybody, you're stuck with this voice. So... I guess the denial is that uh, you should never go back and listen to your old podcast. Even when somebody puts them up and says, Hey, here's something that you should reference about the Holy Spirit.
1: <laughs> What's really weird um, about listening to your own voice is so like you hear your own voice when you're talking primarily through bone, like bone conduction, right? right. Like you don't hear it. It's not the sound waves that you're hearing. It's the vibration of your voice in your skull. So when you listen to it recorded or when you listen to it, that's why it sounds so weird to you is because you're you're hearing it from a totally different direction. But what right. I found actually is not only is it weird listening to it recorded, but for some reason, listening to it recorded on the podcast is like another layer of weird on top it, of what it already freaks you out. So I've actually, you know, I don't, I talk to a fair amount of podcasters, not as much as I used to, just because there's not as many reformed podcasters as there used to be. But like, I feel like that's a super, super common, almost universal experience. It's like, people don't want to listen to their own shows because their voices just sound so weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. One of the things I've learned that you can do as a fun experiment is
0: if you just take, like if you have some books or maybe a couple of sheets of paper, around you if you take those and place them against your ears from the back and push forward your ears and then speak you'll get some of the exact kind of effect that we're talking about where the sound is actually coming back to you and like you said to your point in that way it sounds different so of course like you hear your voice and it's like yeah that's me but i also think is that what i sound like because i'm not sure i'm totally down with that dude so it is weird to have your voice put out on the internet the same is true if, if you're like acting or you're on video somewhere the yeah. same can often be true but i just found it so it honestly made me laugh out loud when i thought ah i never listened to these but let me listen to this one and see what somebody posted to see like <laughs> what the topic was and then within honestly like yeah. two minutes it's me saying you know what i don't do is often go back and listen to these things and i was like i've just fallen into my own trap it's, it's a like trap
1: podcast
0: yeah, I was like it's it's a trap. I do want to say before we get to the affirmations then and I ask you what yours is. The only reason that I can even say any of this, the only reason that like we can continue to go on and make this thing free of charge without payrolls, pay payrolls. We actually we have no payrolls true. and we have no paywalls. It's true. is because there are brothers and sisters that say, you know what, I have generously given to my church and i love the reform brotherhood or maybe loves too strong a word i'm okay with the reform brotherhood and <laughs> i want to I tolerate go- the reform brotherhood i tolerate I, I tolerate this to such a degree that i'd like others to be a part of it and to make sure that it remains free and so they go to patreon.com backslash reform brotherhood and say you know i want to give just a little bit or a lot whatever they're able to afford to make sure that all the costs are covered. It sounds good. It keeps going out into the world. And so I really want to give some kudos and some thanks to brother Ken who joined in that way by becoming a Patreon subscriber. I'm so grateful because again, it's these small gifts all accumulated up, all added together, which makes sure that the podcast keeps going on. So that when it comes to Wednesday or whatever day we release, you can go to your favorite podcast catcher and find my voice which again has been the same and as grating as ever for these past 373 episodes and Tony's mellifluous voice. And you'll find us there having a conversation, trying to honor God and love one another and encourage us all into walking closely after the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen by accident. So many give and we are so thankful. So thanks brother Ken for coming alongside and joining in this journey.
1: It's true. You know, Jesse apparently is far more proficient with Patreon because I saw that there was a new Patreon. And I literally have been spending most of the time that we've been recording trying to figure out the name of this new Patreon. <laughs> because for some reason my view doesn't show me names accurately. So thank you so much, uh brother Ken. Even though I was trying desperately to beat Jesse to this punch, he got me. I knew you were. Uh, he could tell he could see that I was scrambling. So we we really appreciate you know it's funny I was listening to another podcast and Every once in a while, this doesn't happen too often. It used to happen more often than it 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 does now, and I maybe maybe that means something maybe it doesn't. Every once in a while, someone would ask me, like, what would it take for you to do this full time or like what would you do? How would you do things differently if you could do this full time? I would love I mean, Jesse and I've talked about this like we would love to be able to be like full-time podcast content creators. like we would love to build this big Network of podcasts and supply offerings like fifteen seventeen does or something like that, and the only way we could ever even come close to doing something like that is if we had uh, had the support of our community. So we love and we're so thankful that we have the support of our community to build this podcast. But we've got some big like dreams for what to do with the Reform Brotherhood and how to serve serve the church as a partner, not not in like a weird parachurch uh, thing. Like there are lots of weird parachurch organizations that can be really destructive, but as like a real support for the church, for people who are looking for resources, not to supplant or to replace what's going on in the local church, but to support their own participation in the local church. We would love to be able to produce more content and more variety of content and to help Other podcasters get started and to do blogging and articles, all sorts of stuff. So if you are ever interested in that if you're ever interested in us uh expanding our footprint expanding what we're doing and being able to provide more resources we are going to need more support. So you can check us out at reformedbrotherhood.com you can go to patreon.com/reformedbrotherhood and if you if you are uh looking for a uh, I don't like the word ministry but like if you're looking for a a Christian group to support uh, do consider us because we make use of the funds we try to be frugal with what we're doing. So we're not wasting funds, but we're trying to be able to build something that is beyond just two guys talking about a microphone. Like we, right. we love what we do. We really enjoy it. I think we probably, we've said this before and I know other podcasts say this and I don't always believe them when they say it. I think Jesse and I would continue to do the podcast and to have these conversations every week, even if nobody was listening, like it's helpful for, for sure. us to get behind the mics to hit record, and to just chat through what we've been wrestling through theologically. But there's so much more that we would love to be able to do, but it's going to require people supporting uh, supporting the activity that we want. So check it out. You can go to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood. Uh, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com. We did get a request this week to add hooded sweatshirts which I oh, think I, saw that. I think we have a design ready for hooded sweatshirts, but I need to I need to actually figure out how much they cost to print and stuff. Uh, so we're working on that. We we do have some other ideas. Shamelessly stealing the idea that Matt from the ten minute Bible hour had. I would love to make like field notebooks whenever we start our next series, like to put out a journal or a field notebook that somehow had some sort of art related to the series we were doing, so yeah, people sure. could purchase that. And they could support what's going on with Reform Brotherhood and have something that they can like attach to that series where they take notes or they share their thoughts. I would love to be able to do that. Um, but we, you know, we need to be able to pay a graphic designer for that kind of stuff, for example. So if that's the kind of stuff you're interested, if you're interested in seeing us expand, then do consider going to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood and signing up as a patron. What we do yeah. on the show is always going to be free. We are committed to never putting anything behind a paywall, but there are other things we would like to do that are going to just require some more resources.
0: That's fair. I love it when I hear like other radio stations, podcasts talk about like a listener supported. This is like truly listener supported. Like this is, there's no more grassroots than this because it's just That's us true. and everybody else that in many ways, we started with the Patreon.com model because there were some that said, hey, can is there something that we can do to help cover the costs? So this is never about like, hey, we'd like it if we could do our thing, but somebody else would pay for it. Yeah, You and I give toward it. We know that there are others that do, and really that's what makes it possible. So without belaboring the point, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. It makes it available to everybody. And every person, honestly, that's like searching the internet and comes up with like a topic that says like, we're formed this. And of course, we're not saying that we're the definitive kind of expression of whatever it is they're searching for. But after 373, we're, I mean, at least 60% of the time, the definitive thing that they're searching for. So the fact that they can find it, (laughs) thanks for laughing at that. The thing that we can find it is really due to the fact that so many have put their resources toward this particular thing. So we are thankful. Thank you, brother Ken. All right, back to you, Tony, let's launch quickly some affirmations. What are you affirming with?
1: Well, this is where our pre-conference, our pre-podcast conference doesn't do us well because I'll have an oh, affirmation. Sorry. So I'm going to cede my time. So little known fact, I actually asked for a copy of Robert's Rule of Orders for Christmas. So I'm, I'm going to try to channel that a little bit and I'm going to cede my time and my floor to, to you, Jesse, for your affirmation.
0: I appreciate that. I think you can get behind this because you said like you would be able to uh, get on board and I think you will be. So make this really quick it's always good to have some good books at your disposal it's good to have good books that are wide broad deep diverse so here's one maybe a lot of people might not pick up i'm affirming with a book entitled humble pie and that's p i by matt parker and the subtitle of this of this book is a comedy of maths errors now he's continental so he's going to refer to math as we might in the american culture plural, even though we would say math is plural anyway. But this is, I'm just so much enjoying this book. It is one of those like approachable books about all the wonderful things that God has created in the space of numbers. And long-time listeners will know I have this thing. It is my hobby horse. It is my jam. It's about logarithmic scale. And one day if I have enough time, somehow I want to write a paper about how when, when uh, Paul rather talks about being transformed from glory to glory, he's talking about a logarithmic scale. That's the way we understand it, and that God is embedded into our lives, logarithmic scales. It's totally normal. And I bring that up because he speaks about this, Matt Parker does in his book, Humble Pie. So this is so fun. It's like I know many people are gonna be like just turning this off and fast-forwarding 10, 45 seconds, whatever, because they're like, <laughs> get get me away from the math books. It's not in the way that you think. So I would so encourage you, if you're looking for like a fun, kind of zany, like unexpectedly interesting and cohesive and cogent and super entertaining book about math, Humble Pie might exactly be the thing you're looking for in the new year or any year that you're listening to this. So I'm just going to tell you, stop what you're doing. Go order a copy, get it on Kindle, go to your local library. I'm sure it's there. It's Matt Parker's Humble Pie. You will enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, one of the things that I've really um, leaned into maybe over the last year is I used to read almost nothing besides like purely Christian theology, like explicitly Christian theological works. Some of that is like when you're coming out of seminary, you're just used to reading that stuff. Some of it, I think, might have even been a little bit of like intellectual immaturity, if I could call it that. Sure. I'm really been. I've really leaned into the fact that there's a lot of common grace insights outside of the, like, intentionally explicitly Christian publishing world, and I think books like this, or I'm rereading, uh, or I'm going back to read uh, "Algorithms to Live By," which is a book we've talked about before. Oh, so good. That's a great. Book. Uh, there is so much insight. Let me put it this way. There are a lot of people who have who have really spent time investigating God's creation, and they have stumbled upon, and I'll, I'm comfortable using that, they've stumbled upon the fabric of reality in a way that is uh, compatible with and lines up with what God teaches in His word. And you know, for me, like this last year, it's really been studying stoicism. Mostly through like the popularized writings of Ryan Holiday, but stoicism. But you could you could apply that same sort of like pursuit that I've been going through with stoicism to mathematics or uh, creation science or astronomy or geology. Like there's all sorts of different applications. But this book or Algorithms to Live By, which is is another book we've talked about really is just sort of that common grace insight that like God has created a discernible and a comprehensible word world. And that world reflects his nature and his laws right. are are woven into the fabric of nature. So like, I think this is great. I, I, I don't have this book on my Christmas list it's probably a little bit late, but my birthday is in February. So maybe I'll toss <laughs> it on my birthday list. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's worth it. This is like in a series of books for me. I'll, I'll throw a couple more out. Two more by a gentleman who's also British named Alex Bellos, which are called The Grapes of Math. And here's looking at Euclid. Both of those are in the same kind of vein. They're like tongue in cheek. They're lovely. But at the center of them is how they're somehow is woven in this universe, this massive cohesiveness and these beautiful vistas that are represented in numbers. And that that doesn't happen accidentally. So even there, and they're not trying to prove anything. They're just saying, isn't it glorious, the world in which we live in? And what's interesting about Humble Pie is this is a book about math errors, actually. So like one of the even just introductory stories is about this this promotion from Pepsi a number of years ago where it was like, you know, you buy Pepsi products And you get like a certain number of points, like little coupons. Yeah. And you can even buy coupons. And like for 7 million coupons, they said in the commercial, you get a jet. So somebody just did the math and been like, the jet is like several million dollars. And to get 7 million coupons, it would only cost me a couple thousand dollars. (laughs) And so they tried to enforce that. And they bought a bunch of coupons and said, hey, uh, here's I I sent all these in. Uh, let me give you the address where you can deliver the jet. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Prophecy was like, hold up, hold up. That was kind of like a joke. And they're like, that's not what you said in the commercial. And that's not the way you ought to be legally bound to the obligation. So like, it's just lovely. There's stuff like that, but there's also so much stuff about like the way in which the world works and the way in which like petals and seeds are orchestrated on a flower. Like it it will leave you. I, I feel unequivocally in a state of doxology and Numbers shouldn't be a thing that we fear, no matter what your upbringing was or what kind of teachers you had in physics or calc or algebra too. But it's a matter of appreciating that God has made this incredibly ordered world. And he's so genius in the way that he brings it about. And then we have this expression, which allows us to understand it, to study it and to apply it. So, But it does not in like an approachable way. I understand like math is not everybody's jam, but these books mean that it doesn't have to be. You can just go out and enjoy it for the sheer fun of it. So you can try me on it, test me on that. I think that you'll find these entertaining.
1: Yeah, what I love. Uh, so I'm I'm not bad at math. Like I, I'm okay when it comes to mathematical principles, but I get really frustrated when there are um, principles that should feel obvious that are not intuitive. So like, yeah, for sure. Uh, like one of the principles is like, if you hold debt, like a bunch of different kinds of debts. That you should always pay the debt with the highest. Maybe I'm going to get this wrong now, and you're going to correct me. I'm sure you will if I do. But like, it never is financially beneficial to pay anything except the highest debt or the highest interest debt. Technically, right? Like, like if you always pay the highest interest debt first, you will save the most money. And what's weird about that is that doesn't always feel intuitive. It yeah, feels right. like like you might look at it and be like, well, this is a lower interest debt and I could pay that off and I somehow I'm going to save Whoa. money if I pay that debt off first and get rid of it. But even if you hold that debt longer and you pay out even like you could have a and and maybe I'm wrong, but in my understanding is like it doesn't matter what the what the actual numbers are. So like the 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 intuitive feeling is like, well, if I have a small debt at a lower interest and I I pay that off quickly and get rid of it. I have this high debt on high interest. And like if I hold on to that, then I'm just gonna be paying unnecessary interest on the low interest one. You will never actually come out ahead if you pay off the low interest account. Even though like you may hold that for 30 years while you pay off the high interest one, sure. you're still gonna come out better on the end. That doesn't feel intuitive. So I think math is one of those things where it shows like the complexity of God's creation and it shows either maybe maybe this is a whole different episode for us to talk about but although we're at like 35 minutes maybe this is just the episode but <laughs> it shows either that God's creation is somehow uh complicated in the way that like we we it's not always intuitive it's not always like right on the face of it or I think more likely Our understanding of God's creation is marred by the fall such that some things that should be intuitive, they're not. And I think there are things in math, just in general, the the interest one is the only one that comes to mind. But I can think of other conversations that I've had where no matter how much it feels like answer A should be the way that it goes, the math actually supports that answer B is the way that it goes. And like you can't get around that. So, yeah, I mean any book that is um it's going to sound super nerdy, but like books that show math as like the fabric of the universe are really intriguing to me. Yeah. And this book sounds like, you know, there's there's probably some like humorous anecdotes tied into it, but like Oh yeah, so fun. But like this is something that I think we all would do well to sort of um spend a little time just thinking about how this reflects God's glory and creation and the consistency and uniformity and like structure of God's creation. God didn't create a chaotic universe. He actually created an incredibly orderly universe, even down to like how we think about like, um, the atheist will look at the universe and say it's chaotic, but somehow it comes about. Like somehow this order comes about even though it's a chaotic universe. And we look at it and go it appears chaotic in certain ways, but when you really drill down into like the fine details, it's actually quite orderly. And that's not intuitive unless there is a creator. Yes, amen. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is lovely a transition to any because I mean, basically, we want to talk about this idea of the creator and everything, who, everything that has been created has been created through the logos, right? Yeah. And so I wanted to talk about with you this idea as we look to this season of what it means that there's the only way I can describe it is like this perpetuity of human kindness, so to speak, in Jesus Christ the Son, and how like that we shouldn't take it for granted, like that the it's not as if God the Father sent his son in temporary form, but like even now, as we said before, like God stands before, excuse me, Jesus stands before God the Father with eyeballs and hair and feet and arms and legs. And that that's like a real proposition. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some like kind of like manufactured distinction, but it is like a, a real quantity. So let, let me start this by going to like the quintessential passage and just, just throwing out some things for us all to think about and for you and I to discuss. And I'm going to John one one because one, it's a crowd pleaser, and two, this is like some heavy hitting stuff. So I'm going to read from the NASB because why not? So this is John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and that Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Let's skip to verse 14 real quick. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, "This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, and he has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have received and have so man, for for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So, I mean, this is, of course, like the passage that's plastered all over everything this time of year, and for good reason, because it is fire. And I was thinking about this recently and and thinking about what we might talk about and just feeling like this sense of joy, this good news of joy, this great joy that's for all people, all the people. Is that Jesus comes in full humanity, and He comes not in a temporary form, but in this eternal state, and then and this glorified state, where He is truly the last Adam, not like a figment of the last Adam, not a representation of the last Adam, not a facsimile or an analog of the last Adam, but the actual last Adam, and that last Adam persists forever in that form. That seems to me like something that sometimes, at least in my own life, like I underweight this time of year, maybe generally. But I am so in love with Jesus, who is the Savior, the second, the better Joshua, who comes but never disassociates or dislocates from the humanity that he comes to save.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I think this is a super common mistake that um, people who think about the incarnation on sort of like a first order basis right so like if we were to break up um, or maybe a better way to approach it is like classical theories of learning is like you have like the initial phase which is like the grammar phase like you're just sort of understanding the terms of the the topic and right. then there's like the rhetoric phase where you understand the argumentation and then there's like a synthesis phase where you're taking all of the information and you're combining it and you're rearranging it in not necessarily new but like unexpected or like unexperienced ways. People who think about the incarnation in sort of that first level, just like the basic grammar of the incarnation, it's often a surprise to them that there is a necessity to the incarnation that it doesn't stop. It doesn't cease to right. be at either either it already has ceased to be or that it may cease to be at some some point in the future. So I want to read, um, usually we read from the shorter Westminster Shorter Catechism, but I just want to read from the Westminster Larger Catechism, um, not because the question is all that different, but just because I think it's good to see that this is consistent. So it says, question 36 is, who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? And the reason I love the way the catechism roots this is that it connects the, the incarnation to the covenant of grace. Right, the incarnation is a function of God's gracious act toward humanity. So it says, who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? Says the only mediator of the covenant of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, of one substance and equal with the Father, in the fullness of time became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. And I think that last word is something that's not for. And this is not a slam, right? This isn't me dunking on people. Like there are tons and tons of Christians who live in the world of sort of like first order thinking about theological topics, and there's not necessarily anything in in to, or um, intrinsically wrong about that, right? We live in this sort of privileged state that we have the ability, and we have the time, and we have the resources. And in our case, we have a platform that enables us to think about these things in kind of a second or third order fashion. Right. But there are a lot of Christians who think about the incarnation or think about theology on this first order level of just getting the basic grammar right. And it's not intuitive to them that the uh, the incarnation is a permanent feature. And I'll tell a quick story just to to land this home and and I have I have her permission to tell this story on sort of like an ongoing basis. So my wife, your sister, went to a fine Bible college. She went to Lancaster Bible College, which is a fine Christian college. Um, at least it was. I don't know anything about it nowadays, but it was a fine Christian college when she was going there. Good theology department, good theology teachers. And when she came to seminary, so her and I met in seminary, she was studying to do Christian education. I was doing my my master's degrees. She she was taking systematic theology it was probably like systematic theology survey too, but she was taking one of the theology survey courses and she said something like, Tony, did you know that the incarnation is permanent? Like, did you know that Jesus still is a, still has a human nature? And I remember thinking like, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. So- Right. And she was like, what do you, why do you seem surprised by that? I was like, well, like the idea that he somehow like divested himself of his human nature. Right. Means the incarnation wasn't actually like a true incarnation. So it's like a form of, it's like a form of docetism or a form of Apollinarianism where like the, the human nature of Christ is just this like temporary thing he takes on, but it's not actually taken into his person. It's just like temporarily attached to him, but he lays it down at some point. Right. And she was just dumbfounded. And she said, I never, this never came up in, in my, my Bible college classes. Now I don't know whether that's true. She doesn't know whether that's true or whether like it was, maybe she was out sick the day that that lecture happened. I don't know. But any, anyone can fall into this idea that like the incarnation is just this like temporary thing that God does. And this is what I think is so important for us to understand and this is the radical part of the incarnation. This is a weird way to phrase it, so bear with me. I, I I don't think that I'm a heretic, but the uh, to put it this way, the change that happened in reference to the second person, not in the second person, but in reference to the second person, right. the new state of affairs that came to be in reference to the second person of the Trinity is a permanent state of affairs. And... We could quibble, we're not going to do it tonight, but we could quibble on whether that's an ontological necessity, meaning that like the incarnation is a um is a essential ontological like the incarnation could not happen unless it was a permanent un undividable reality. that's one view or and I actually think this is the view I would take if Christ really wanted to. Uh, apart from this reality, Christ could like de incarnate. Like that's within the realm of ontological possibility. But covenantally, God is promised to be God who is the God of his people and his people will be his people. And that happens, well, that only happens in Christ through the incarnation. So in order for God to be true to his promise, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, he has promised never to lay down his human nature. He's promised never to disassociate with us. And the way that he associates with us, the way that he is Emmanuel, God with us, which is something we talk about so much at this time of year, is in the incarnation. It's in the assumption of his human nature into his person. Not just like attached to his person. It's not just like a suit that he puts on. It's not just like a vehicle that he drives around. He actually like assimilates the human nature into his person. The human nature becomes personal in his, in his already existent divine person. He has covenantally promised never to bring that incarnation to an end. Because to right. do that would be to disassociate with his people, which he's promised never to do. And I, I think I'm submitting
0: here that this great joy, which is for all people is in large part, not entirely, but in large part due to the, exactly this thing that you just referenced there, that this incarnation, this God with us, is God with us always. Right. So it's God with us in the flesh when the word tabernacles among us. But it's also that the word is always tabernacling, as it were, among us, because he is always like us. Yeah. And this, I think, goes back to even to the Old Testament, when the people of God cry out, Who is like you, all Lord? What God is like you among the nations? This is part and parcel of that proof that no God does this thing. No God makes this his jam that says, I'm going to condescend to become like my creation in every way, yet without sin, and therefore redeem them by assuming in his very own being, as it were, in my simplistic terms, everything that it means to be like his creation, but to do so in a way that is perfectly obedient to the law. And then suffers the punishment that is unjust and undue to the one who would obey the law, and then derives from the dead as proof that he is the one who is chosen, who is the Christ, the Anointed, and to become the first brother. There's just it's a, it's a rhetorical question. There is no God like that. There, there none exists. Not, not yeah. even all the stories that the world can concoct. There's nothing like our God. So when John writes, "The Word became flesh," I love that it's this idea of like became, and as you said, not became and then went back to ephemeral. not became, yeah. and then went back to spirit, but became flesh full stop. And so even now remains, that's the clear intimation here. And so we have Jesus who is even now interceding on our behalf as the God-man. Like he doesn't cease to become the God-man. In fact, he is privileged in this role, this special ministry, which he has now, which is no less different or special than the mystery he had on earth because he continues to be the God-man. And in fact, we need him now more than ever to intercede in our behalf. And so this is a great source of great joy and strength for all people. That that is the thing that no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life, no matter where you live or what culture you come from or where you find yourself placed in this geography in which providence has put you, that we find that this is the actual greatest joy for all humankind because every person is a person. And you know who is also a person? is Jesus the Christ. And so he comes to make this kind of reconciliation that is distinctly human and never stops being distinctly human. And it shows us that like, as the first brother is the one who is anointed and glorified, that we also will be glorified like him. So there's also great joy in this fact that like, look to Jesus, not just look to his example, look to what he's accomplished, look to the credit that he's given you in all righteousness, look to the clothes that he's put on you, that are the clothes of righteousness that have been exchanged for yours, that are filthy rags. But in addition to all of that, You may know that God honors this kind of sacrifice because he has elevated his son, Jesus, and Jesus, so to speak, has the ear of the Father. And so if he is asking and interceding on the behalf of his people, what will God not grant that Jesus asks of him, right? And so he says, to your point, that he volitionally gives himself up. He volitionally comes and condescends, and he volitionally maintains, so to speak, this humanness this human kindness that is part and parcel of who he is now forever because he is good, but he does so on his own terms, not because like it was a trap. It's not like the parent trap, like a spiritual parent trap. It's not that at all. It's this idea that the giving of the father is in the son and the son comes comes volitionally and the Holy spirit applies this great work to our lives. And I'm filled with joy when I think about this, because it's all the great to it's all great to have somebody do something for you it's all the greater to have somebody continually being for you and so i remember like reading that martin luther when speaking about isaiah said that we should all put like in gold letters like gilded like unto us a child is born yeah. unto us a son is given like to us to us God is for us. And of course, even there, we see like the amazingness of the Trinity that it's not that a son is born. It's a child is born. The son is given because he always existed. So I'm just overwhelmed this time of year to think about this, that God has given his son and his son persists in perpetuity by his own volition, his loving kindness in the human form, the better human form, the last human form, the one that I will one day assume myself, not because I have earned it because Jesus Christ has made a way and I can look to him already and say, yeah, that's what it will be like. And he is like the true first brother that goes before us. So I'm with you. Like it it is, maybe it's just like, I think maybe a lot of Christians understand this or they, they like intuitively they kind of come, they run this ramp and they see like, Oh yes, of course it makes sense. But like, I, I just want to submit that this is the great joy that when the, when the angel shows up and the glory of God shines around the shepherds, and he's like, everybody chill for a second. I got something to tell you. This is the great joy. He's saying like everything you want to be, everything you wish you were, every, every ability to come before God and to be wholly reconciled, all the sacrificial system, everything. I'm about to tell you, this is the great joy that God is about to send his son. Actually, he has sent his son. And this son who is both child and king is like you in every way, yet without sin is going to repair all the things because he will assume all the things. And when he does this, he will never forsake that role so that he will always represent you in the most perfect way so that when you stand before the Father, those whom he has elected and called unto himself, he will look to his son, who again is just like you, and he will say, come in my child because Jesus has made a way. I, that's the great joy. I just yeah. can't get around it. Like, And it really does make me happy that's a great joy. There's other parts to that, but I I have to just come to this place in full honesty and say like, I mean, what is Christmas all about Charlie Brown? I mean, that's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've mentioned it on the show before that um, when I started to get my head around as much as we can, right. The the incarnation is an infinite mystery that we're never going to fully understand. But when I started to get my head around the, 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 what the Bible teaches about the incarnation and what the church has understood and how the church has articulated it and the, the, the nature of two, what, what is commonly called like two-Adam or second-Adam Christology, right? There's so much language in the Bible, particularly in the book of Hebrews, but also in, in parts of Romans, but there are huge portions of the book of Hebrews that just, they were like a black box to me. They just didn't really make any sense to me. And when I started to get my head around this idea of like second Adam Christology, it was like the Bible became alive to me in a new way. Yeah, right on. And not not in like the weird, like um, charismatic, like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's giving me new revelation, but just like the words on the paper made sense to me in a way they didn't before. And I want to read, um, I want to read something from Hebrews chapter seven here. Uh, starting in verse 11, it says, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law. For the one whom these things are spoken of belongs to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar for it is evident that our lord who is descended from judah and in connection with that tribe moses said nothing about priests this has become even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of, an, of melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but on the power of an indestructible life for it is witnessed of him you are a priest after the order of Melch- or you are you a priest forever after the order of melchizedek Now this passage, right? Like Hebrews is one of those books that was just, like I said, was just like this black box to me and what Hebrews is doing. And and I just want to read quick from our, the, from the shorter catechism, this language that we talk about question 21 in the shorter catechism, who's the redeemer of God's looks parallel to question 36 in the larger catechism we read, it goes directly into the offices of Christ. And so right. even though the offices of Christ are his offices and he executes those offices both in his a state of humiliation and exaltation, right? We learned that in question 23, these are done in um, I don't mean, want to not be uh venturing into EFS territory here. Christ executes these offices typologically and sort of like proleptically looking forward prior to the incarnation but he only executes these offices in light of the incarnation that would be to come so like we could say that Christ is the he's the prophet the son is the prophet prior to the incarnation but he's only the prophet he's only fulfilling the office of prophet in light of his coming incarnation so even though it happens temporally beforehand it's still only in light of that that doesn't stop when he ascends into heaven, right? He is our prophet, our priest and our king, both in his estate of humiliation that is on earth in the incarnation, but also in eternity in his exaltation. Well, he's exalted as the second Adam, he's exalted as our representative, he's exalted as as one who has fulfilled the covenant of works in our nature, as one of us. And he does that and all of this is done not on the basis of his biological lineage, but on the basis of his indestructible life. So in Hebrews, there's this like, it's not a blurring or emerging, but there's this like union of his indestructible life, which is both his indestructible life as God, as God in, in nature, but also in his indestructible life, and in that he's earned the right to that indestructible life through obedience to the covenant of works. And if at any point Christ were to lay down his human nature, he no longer would be our priest. He no longer would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's not a priest just like he's not a prophet or a king. He's not those things in reference to being our redeemer apart from his incarnation, apart from assuming and maintaining a hypostatic union of, of, his divine person and a human nature, which becomes personal in that incarnation, in that person. Right. So and that's a lot of like technical theology. I would encourage learner learners, listeners who are a little bit confused by what we just said, because it's a lot of technical stuff. Go back and listen to the Christology episodes. There's a ton of Christology episodes. I think we've probably done more Christology episodes than any other single topic uh, in, through the whole thing. I right? hope so. Even when we get to like, Our series on uh, like the Lord's Supper, which was probably our longest, um, our longest like single topic series, besides like this big systematic one we did for the last two years. Even that was deeply Christological. Like Christology permeates all of our systematic theology and rightly so. And in this case, unless we maintain that the Logos took on flesh, right? That's John 1. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. Unless we maintain that he continues to dwell among us, and what we mean by that is not physically present, right? The end of John, he makes it very clear that like he's going away. He's not physically with us anymore. And that's to our benefit, because the Holy Spirit will come. But unless he dwells among us now, by his Spirit, but in his human nature, he is still at the Father's side, interceding on our behalf. He's still our prophet. He's still our priest. And he's still our king. That only happens in light of his incarnation. And unless he dwells among us in eternity future as our representative making intercession on our behalf, then just maybe to like borrow some Pauline language, like we're the most pitiable of all people. Because it means our salvation has like an end point if Christ is going to put down his human nature at some point in the future. So this is like one of those topics that like we're going to come back to again and again and again and again throughout the course of whatever the next 500 episodes of this, show's, this show is, that's a pretty optimistic number, I guess. Um, this is absolutely central to understanding what Christmas means, what the incarnation means, what the nativity means. And just like you said, like this is the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown, is that mm-hmm. Christ took on flesh, not as this temporary state of affairs to accomplish a task, but the God of the universe, the second person of the Trinity who created all things, through whom all things were created, right? this inseparable act of creation that the triune God engaged in. He took on flesh and became one of us and never will not be one of us. He will never in the future cease to be a perfectly righteous human in our nature, advocating on our behalf. That's what our salvation is. Like a million years from now, when we're still worshiping before the throne of God, it will still be, the son of god in a human nature maintaining our justification by advocating for us by the, uh, to the father that never stops and that is one of those things like that's worthy of praise it's yes. that's what revelation is talking about when it says worthy is the lamb who was yes. slain who who is worthy to open the open seals the scrolls right yeah. that's not he's not worthy to open the seals because he's god right he's worthy to open the seals because he was the lamb who was slain and evermore will be. So I I could, I mean, I could, we could just start recording the next episode, I guess, (laughs) but I need to sleep at some point tonight. So we should probably wrap this up, but this is just one of those topics that like you put a quarter in me and I am just going to keep going on
0: it. Yeah, that's totally fair. And, And as I think all Christians, we should, because, what well, we find in this is just all the more reason to rejoice in our Savior. It's a well that you can never plumb the depths of, and it's absolutely glorious and beautiful. And again, some people were cool with me about maybe the amount of emphasis we're putting on this particular season, but I think what is certain is that if this particular season gives you an excuse to delve into these things, to think about them at a pause, to take a beat, to breathe, and to process them, in maybe a new or just even a rehearsed way, it's worth it. So that's what all I'm saying is, This great joy that's for all people is the fact that Jesus comes to be like those whom he saves. And he never, as you said, relinquishes that identity. It's a bit like, you know, you and I are Americans and we're happy and very blessed by our citizenship. And you can imagine if there was some national or international conference where we wanted to make sure there was representation among the American people, And so we see in the news, we're reading in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, that here's this great gathering of people, and here comes our great representative. And we'd be proud of that, and we would respect that, and we would love that, and we would cherish that, because here is somebody that's exactly like us, coming into the sphere of influence and representing all it is to be us. And here's Jesus in the cosmic sense, who comes on his own volition. From the Father, empowered by the Son, excuse me, empowered by the Holy Spirit as the Son of God to come and do that very thing, the emissary. And He never gives up that role. So even now, there's a strong ministry that He assumes on our behalf. That's just like glory upon glory, kindness upon kindness, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. So it's just never not a good time to think about this and to know that it's one thing for God to become like us. It's another thing to God to remain like us. And both those things find this consummate and lovely fulfillment when the angel shows up and says, you know, I have great news of great joy. That's for all people born this day in the city of David is the savior, Christ, the Lord. He is the Lord and he is the Lord of humanity because he is human. He is the Lord of all the earth because he is truly God and he's also truly man. So. Wherever you are, loved ones, let's get that party on. Let's celebrate that this is who our God is. And no matter how you feel about Christmas, uh, there's no reason not to celebrate that fact,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe to put a pin in it and just to sort of round it out, the joy of Christmas is not just that Christ became a was born in a manger, right? That's what we hear this time. You're like, Christ was born in a manger. Yeah, right, right. The joy of Christmas, and and to sort of s- steal the phrasing you're using, or to, to latch into it, what the the joy that the angels were proclaiming is not just that God was born in a manger; it's that God, God the Son, still is that very same babe that was born in a manger, yes. all, all grown up. But yes. but the the human nature that the Holy Spirit conceived in the womb of the very Virgin Mary, and, and the human person, or the, the person who is human, I don't want to get emails about that, the person who is human who was born of her and yet without sin is the self-same person. That's, that's language straight out of the Chalcedonian definition, right, right? The self-same person who was born of the Virgin Mary now stands before the Father in that same nature, interceding on our behalf, And he will forevermore by the power of his indestructible life, right? That's Hebrews 7. And and that is that is the hope and the joy and the glory of Christmas. It's not, it's not this hallmark channel. Even like we've we've like touted the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Like I love that Linus preaches the gospel, but like the joy of Christmas is not just the baby in the manger, it's the ascended Christ before the Father. And he's in that same nature. He is that same human nature that he was in the manger and now stands before the Father on our behalf. And that is the joy of Christmas. So it's December 17th right now. So eight days from now, which will only be like four days from when you're hearing this. Bring that up. Like, let's talk about this on Christmas. Let's 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 celebrate it. it. Let's bring it up with our family members. Let's talk about how Jesus still reigns and rules as a human who has earned the right to intercede before us. Right, that's that's the joy yeah. of Christmas.
0: Yeah, you're right. And and the last thing I'll say because we keep just last upping each other is like, <laughs> it's like
1: the end of Lord of the Rings. It is, I guess so. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> is this like idea? I think that sometimes we have this sense that like Jesus is like this you know excuse the expression like this dude in like a faraway land that we don't. It's just not true at all. Like we need to conceive of him as the one who is standing making intercession like is as close to us as we possibly can be because only the spirits the holy spirit discerns the mind of god and so it's good that christ would not be with us like walking among our congregation right now because he is with the father in performing that exceptional ministry and yet we have what is in some ways better than a, a physical closeness to him right now which is the holy spirit and then on top of all that like the only reason everybody, like, we're going to get the beatific vision is to God because God, his great kindness, gave us Christ in flesh that we might be able to see one day. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. amazing who God is spirit that would make himself known to us. And then even when we arrive in heaven on those shores, either because like he returns or because we die, it's going to be we're going to see him because God purposely engendered that we would have a physical manifestation of who he was by the giving of his son in physical form in the human conception. Yeah. That is like mind-boggling. So like there's mystery, there's beauty, there's glory, but in all of it it's like this wrapper, literally this time of year that's tied together in joy. So yeah. enjoy it, would you? Like yeah. let's enjoy it together that this is our God and there is no one like our God because you can go out and search all the worldviews of all of history and every culture and every other religious persuasion. And you will not find a gospel like this. No human mind could invent or conceive this kind of gospel. And that's because it comes from God himself. So, so many reasons to celebrate Tony. We could go on and on and on. I think maybe, well, at least I thought like we always maybe think, are we going to have enough to talk about? And then what (laughs) happens is it's an hour and seven minutes in and we think, and we just go another three hours because there's so much we've left unsaid. So here's the thing, loved ones the unsaid stuff now is for you to carry forward. Go have a conversation. Go reach out to us via email. Go hang out in the Telegram group and let's talk more about who our God is and what he's done for us.
1: Yeah. Well, Jesse, at the risk of belaboring the point, I'm going to just seal it off here. So I appreciate that. The next time that I see Jesse will be in person. I'm That's very true. excited. Uh, we're coming up on our annual Christmas celebration. So I think the best way to end up tonight is to say Merry Christmas. And until next time, honor everyone. Love the brother.